Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. What a gem of a human being this next guest is, Dr. Stan Steindl. And oh my, he gets a gold medal for patience. We recorded this podcast episode two times, and he loves us so much that he came back a second time. He is a compassion researcher, and he's written about compassion. It's called The Gifts of Compassion, How to Understand and Overcome Suffering. He's a clinical psychologist in private practice and an adjunct associate professor at the School of Psychology at the University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia, which I have been surfing in Brisbane, Australia. So I am excited for you to feel Stan's presence and to really take in not only his wisdom, but you can feel the experience that he has in his lifetime. So enjoy Dr. Stan Steindl. Dr. Stan Steindl, tell everyone a little bit about you and, and uh, where you are in the world ah. and your passions. Yeah, well, um, my name's Stan Steindl. I, I'm here in Brisbane, Australia, uh, where it's currently 5.07 p.m. and um, starting to get a little chillier. I think where you guys all are might be moving towards the hotter months, but... Uh, we're getting we're getting cooler again, and um, this is my new jumper. I noticed your jumper. You were wearing a surfer T-shirt the last time we met. So I was teasing him before we went live about his jump your jumper. Yes, well, I, my, I I wondered whether I was able to pull off such a beautiful deep burgundy, but my daughter Freya said absolutely I should get it so that's my latest acquisition but anyway um yes I'm I'm a, a clinical psychologist in in private practice here at, at psychology consultants and also an adjunct associate professor at the school of psychology at the University of of Queensland and uh while I have a a, a busy clinical practice um working with clients on in a range of of different um, therapy sorts of ways. I'm, I'm particularly interested in an approach called compassion-focused therapy, which is really about how can we um, sort of become really aware and familiar with our own innate, evolved, compassionate motivation, because it's a part of what it is to be human, is, is to have that motive and that sort of th those abilities around compassion. I mean, sometimes they get tricky, though, of course, as well, but um, it, it's often in there. And so compassion-focused therapy is, is really a way to 
you know, connects people again to that innate compassionate motivation, um, not only compassion towards others, but as you know, we, we really think about the three flows of compassion. So um, being compassionate towards others, um, receiving compassion, you know, from others as well. Um, and then, of course, self-compassion. And, and so that, that's, a, that's often where we're working in therapy as well, is, is, is cultivating self-compassion. And so that's, yeah, that, that's really, uh, you know, I, I have a passion for compassion, you could say. Um, so I really uh, enjoy working in that area. And some of my research is looking at, at um, compassion and self-compassion and, and, and so on. So you're a full-time clinician and you're also doing research and writing books is what I hear you say. It, it, it's, it's busy. You know, there's, there's a lot happening. I, I, um, I, I am working full-time. The, the, there's the research. I do quite a bit of supervision of uh, students who are doing research. And uh, I've, written, I've written one book, I guess. It's called The Gifts of Compassion. And so that was um, an exciting development. It just got published end of last year as well. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm excited to shout it out and get more people talking about it. Mm. So I want to back up because I think that it's so easy to assume that we know what everyone means when we say the word compassion. But some of these words like compassion, empathy, mindfulness, we throw them around. But I think it's important to sort of have a level set. What do we mean by compassion and, and how does it even differentiate from something like empathy mm. like how would you land us there a little bit yeah well uh, professor paul gilbert is probably love him a, by the way <laughs> an important person in in this field uh really developed compassion focused therapy and the concept of cultivating the compassionate mind and he really uh, and colleagues have arrived at, at a definition, which is, you know, compassion is a sensitivity to suffering in self and others uh, with a motivation to try to alleviate and prevent that suffering. So you can kind of get the sense there, there's, there's kind of two psychologies to compassion. The, the first part is, is, the in, is sort of compassionate engagement. Where, where there's that sensitivity, that noticing, that awareness um, of suffering, again, in self and others. And then the second psychology is more about action, you know, that, that you know, what we might do or try to, to be helpful and, and to alleviate or prevent it. And, and you know, that, that's why, I, I mean, I, I really feel like the work that you do and, and all of the, the people, you know, with Sidewalk Talk, you know, that basically that is compassion in action you know it, it's that it's that firstly that awareness that people are arriving and they're going through stuff and that sensitivity and engagement that that willingness to to sort of be there with a person who might be really having a tough time and suffering and then doing something to help and and we know that listening is a powerful act of compassion you know, to feel heard and to feel understood uh, and to experience perhaps, you know, the, the empathy or validation or respect or honouring from another person. You know, those, those things really are very, very helpful. You know, e even if it doesn't take 
literally the source of suffering away. It just can soften the some of the stuff that we might be going through. So, yeah, that that's that's the the sort of the broad definition of compassion, I suppose. Yeah, I appreciate that. I actually heard Paul Gilbert speak at the Interpersonal Neurobiology Conference with Dan Siegel at UCLA lots of years ago, maybe mm. five years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I think that the two of you do some research or colleagues, so I appreciate you bringing him up because it brings back some fond memories from that conference. Um, when I hear you speak about compassion, something just flipped in my brain that I never thought about before. So this is a very non sequitur. I'm free associating as I'm listening to you, I guess. Right. But what I heard you say was that if compassion is about suffering, does that mean we have to like wander around the world if we're a compassionate person looking for people suffering? That just popped into my head. I'm like, does that mean I have to be walking around looking for suffering so I can be a compassionate person? I just was wondering about that. Well, I think the beauty of it is that there's just so many ways in, you know, with yeah. compassion. It, it, it's just, and, and, and you know, like I know this, this sounds all a bit serious, but, you know, the, the, the reality is that, that suffering is a part of life for us, you know, that, that, that suffering is there, you know, and it might be with our na- friends or family or neighbours or people in our community. You don't tend to have to look far, sadly you know, to find someone who might be experiencing that. And of course, uh, sometimes it's it's also just about looking inside ourselves too. You don't have mm-hmm. to go very far to do that. Although sometimes it can feel like a a, a long distance, but, um, but, you know, sort of uh, exploring our suffering within ourselves as well. So there's many, many ways in and opportunities to, to do so, but but sometimes it might be to to be more, you know, really actively involved in in sort of seeking out, you know, need or suffering and, and making oneself available for that. In this recent COVID period, um, it, it Meals on Wheels, I'm not sure if you call it that there, but, a, you know, a service taking... We do. Meal. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of their drivers are, you know, sort of in the age group where they, they you know, couldn't really leave home or, or be exposed to, to the risk of COVID and so on. And so, so suddenly there, there wasn't enough drivers. And, and I thought, okay, I'll, I'll be a Meals on Wheels driver. So, um, you know, was able to, that, that's that thing, you know, just a, a sensitivity and noticing, you know, where are the, the opportunities there and then just doing something maybe even small to 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 mm. try to be helpful mm. yeah i'm i'm still for me this idea of helpfulness is i'm something i'm currently wrestling with just because i'm trying to reconcile my own privilege around am i going to like do i think i need to rush in and save everybody or should i step back and kind of go okay well what is actually the right compassionate action when i take myself in this larger context you know like mm. was i invited in and and i'm still i don't know i'm still wrestling with that like one thing that's come up on the sidewalk is we have folks say well let's go set up our listening stations in homeless homeless encampment villages I, i'm like well were you invited in <laughs> I mean, we don't want to like just show up and assume that folks in homeless encampment villages want us there. And so I'm, I'm still 
don't have any thought about where I'm going with this statement, but it's just what's arising as I listen to you, um, mm. how to really um, hold this paradox of maybe helping is less helping sometimes. And maybe that's part of what compassion practice does, where you're meant to be in touch with your own self in a way that you're taking, to use a Buddhist terminology, right action, rather mm -hmm. than the action your ego wants to take. But mm -hmm. can we riff on that a little bit together? Because I imagine you might have some thoughtful things to add to my confusion. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the first thing that, that comes to mind is, is that, you know, sometimes knowing what's best for someone is kind of a, a near enemy of compassion, actually. You know, it's something that kind of looks a bit like it might be compassion or, or you know, sort of helpful, um, but knowing what's best for them and, and sort of charging in to fix them, um, you know, it kind of takes away a whole bunch of agency and, and sort of sense of um, self-efficacy and, and, you know, kind of one's rights to, to sort of their own choices and, and changes. So I think it is a very worthwhile consideration. Sometimes uh, there might be times when actually you know, we, we do need to step in. For example, someone's passed out on the road and so it is actually, you know, a, an opportunity to to sort of step in and be helpful without necessarily asking permission. And so there can be different layers of or levels of, of, emer of um, urgency there. But, um, you know, kind of asking permission, I think, is, is often such a, a useful step. I know it sounds weird to say it like that, but... Um, you know, whenever we want to to give something or suggest something or offer advice or provide information or take the conversation in a in a certain way, often it's just a really nice step just to say, you know, would you mind if we talked a little bit about such and such? Now, people will often say, yeah, that's fine or whatever that we can talk about. Um it's not really in the getting of the permission. It's it's kind of, I think it's in the asking. You know, when you ask for the permission, it just expresses something. It res it expresses respect, and it it it, it expresses an acceptance of them and, and an honouring of their point of view, and so on. And so, yeah, I think it it we we can still find ways in without you know sort of taking choice away from people. I suspect. Mm. I love that. Yeah. To really, it's almost, well, to use a psychobabble term, you're talking about informed consent. Can I, can I intervene on you? Do I have your consent to intervene on you? I think about that a lot. Yeah. And there's so much humility in that too. And what I hear you saying, this kind of, yeah. I don't assume I know that I have the answer, but I might have something to offer. May I offer my gifts here? Or do you want me to sort of just hold space? I like that. Yeah. Asking. Mm. Yeah, asking. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's, which is which is sort of you know one of the the first first steps of listening, isn't it? Good listening is just asking, not telling. You know, wherever yeah. possible, ask, not tell. You know, because yeah. often often the, the 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 wisdom will be there in that other person too. You know, and and so finding opportunities for for them to 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 tell us, you know, that wisdom. There's there's a whole bunch of of qualities that really help to kind of support compassion. For example, um, you mentioned humility. I mean, I think that's a really interesting 
part of what it is to be a compassionate person is, is to remain kind of humble about what we know or what we don't know or who this person is and what might be helpful and, and really, you know, staying humble, but at the same time, you know, courage is in there as well. You know, having that courage to step towards that person and maybe say, how are you going? Or, or you know, can I be of any help? You know, so that, that so it's an interesting combo when you think of those two, isn't it? You know, humility and courage. They, they, they sort of look like they are against each other in a way, but actually they, they really sort of a pigeon pair in a way that, that you, yeah. you sort of might bring to that dilemma of, of being helpful without imposing it. Mm. Yeah, when I hear you say that, what comes to mind is just this one of my favourite words which in the world, which is wholeness, which is, you know, really inviting all of our opposites as a human, you know, our strength and our fragility and our bold heartedness and our tender heartedness and mm. our, our humility and our courage that that sort of mm. integrated wholeness in our humanity, I imagine, comes to bear on how compassionate we show up, right? Because mm. if we're just all bravado, which I know I can be sometimes, <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, I've been practicing for a while and I supervise interns and I always find that interns when they're new in their in their career are so interventive. They just want to feel so much efficacy as a therapist that it's not mm. okay to just sit back and hold space and wait. Mm. You know, I've got to make something happen. I've got to and I'm like, "Ah, that's about you, not the client." You know, I mean, I don't judge, mm. but I I I notice that that's one new therapist mm. thing it seems. Mm. But I love this this pointing out of this polarity between humility and courage because I mm. and I especially like those two paired together it's really sweet yeah. I yeah. almost feel it in my whole body mm. Mm. yeah love it yes, there really is a, a sort of a, a yin and a yang to compassion in a way there's the there's the sort of the the, the the softness the warmth the nurturing the kindness and then there's the courage the wisdom the strength um, the commitment and so on and and it, it is about bringing these these different aspects kind of together to to create that wholeness absolutely and and um and, and a big part of that i think is is that wisdom piece mm. you, you mentioned the 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 sort of the the early career therapists and so on it's it, 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 one of paul gilbert's little stories is he talks about you know you're sitting on a on the beach and all of a sudden you see someone out the back kind of you know maybe struggling or drowning and so you okay. throw off your your gear and you go racing into the ocean and dive in and then suddenly you think oh no I can't actually swim um, and so this is sort of that unwise or unskillful kind of attempts at compassion uh, yeah. that can sometimes uh, well uh, be unhelpful or do more harm than good even sometimes when we when we go charging in so wisdom and skillfulness and real empathy and understanding um, and, and so on. That, those kind of a key parts of, of helping us to, to do it well, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you kind of laid this out. I mean, we've got this world, I feel like, where we're just, we just suck at compassion. And, and yet you've written a book, I feel like, to really be a map for many of us to cultivate a little bit more of this. Um, 
first, I want to ask you, why do we suck at it so much? And how can we get, and then the second question is, how can we get better at it? Well, My really I'm clinical gonna... term, sucking, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, I can work with that. that, that... <laughs> And, and I suppose my, my response is, is because we have tricky brains. You know, that's, that's why you know, we, we have these evolved brains and, and, and compassion-focused therapy is very much an evolutionary-based kind of approach. It, it really acknowledges that over millions of years, our brains have evolved to, you know, try to help us survive. And um, we have certain aspects of the brain certain functions i mean everyone will will know probably about the fight flight response you know the the, the fight flight freeze appease response you know we we have these various evolved strategies for mm. dealing with threat and, and for um threat protection and and so on and and in there comes you know ang anxiety or or anger or disgust or you know other other sorts of things and and of course you know one of the big threats for humans is social threat you know mm -hmm. if we were together with you know the the, the tribe or whatever we, well maybe we could fend off a, a lion or something like that but um out on our own in the wilds we were dead and so we have these very powerful monitoring all the time, noticing social threat and where do I fit and, and so on. And, and a whole bunch of behaviors and other things will arise out of that, which take us away from compassion. We become tribal and, and we get into very us and them kinds of um, dynamics. And, and um, you know, it, it, it starts to look like, you know, we're, we're sort of, um, you know, very, very protective, defensive uh, against others and less compassionate. And of course, then we have another system, which is the drive system, where that's all about uh, sort of obtaining or achieving or, you know, obviously in a more primitive sense, it, it's about food and, and maybe sex and things like that. But, you know, we, we have these these motives to succeed and to compete and and you know, out of that too can come things that, that look like they take us away from, from compassion. So, you know, the, it, it's, it's, we have these tricky brains and we have these different, different motives, these threat protection motives, these comp comp competitive motives. Um, and so, but, but the second part of the question was, you know, how do we, how do we cultivate it? Well, will we also have a system which is this, this sort of soothing affiliative system, you know, this part of the human brain that, we really had to look after each other to survive as a species. You know, we couldn't go it alone. We had to certainly look after our, our vulnerable young. Um, but even, you know, there's lots of archaeological evidence about how, you know, we, they, they've looked at the bones of, of remains of primitive humans and, and the disease process that you can see there in the bones. You know, the person would never have lived that long you know, had there not been people around them bringing them food or water or, you know, we've always looked after our sick or injured or elderly or disabled and, and so on. And so the soothing affiliative system in some ways, you know, out of all of that emerges a kind of a caring motivation and, and sort of, you know, then a kind of a compassionate motivation. And so we're able to really um, sort of come in at that level and, and, and work out, you know, what, 
what are the, the the sort of the new brain competencies really that we can bring to to sort of cultivating compassion, um, imagining, using uh, using imagery, using bodily sensations, and changing the way that we're feeling in our in our body, you know, changing our thoughts and reasoning, bringing our attention and lifting the chin and looking around and becoming sensitive. You know, there's a number of ways in to really kind of try and supercharge again, you know, that that compassionate motivation out of all of that. So if you saw me get distracted, I just like did a little announcement on Alexa to tell my son who's getting ready for tennis to pipe down because he's making a bunch of noise. I just wanted to know oh. you to know I'm still with you. Um, as I'm as I'm listening to you, what I'm curious about is in those clincher moments, you know, when you're having a day and your daughter's maybe being kind of difficult and you can't quite get dinner on the table and you're like, oh, you know, and that compassion just goes out the window. Mm. What's your fast? What's your favorite? Because I have a favorite, but I want to, I like to hear other people's favorites. What's your favorite or go to for yourself to kind of come back to that capacity in you and right the ship, so to speak? In those mm. clincher real life moments, yeah, it well, 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 the the first and most tricky step I think for me is is noticing, you know, being able to to step out of the autopilot of it all and just really notice the the, the mounting kind of emotion and sensation, and and then the next step is is really you know sort of always bring it back to the body is one of my sort of little reminders in my mind, bring it back to the body, breathe, slow down the breathing, um, activate, you know, parasympathetic nervous system, downregulate, um, slow down the, the body, slow down the mind, you know, change the body posture, change the facial expression. Um, really, I, I find probably my favorite, I think, given your question, yeah, would, would be sort of bringing it back to the body, leading with the body, so that you can try to um, calm the body and and calm the mind. Uh, there's another person who's you know, wonderful to if if people are interested in in looking her up as well. And that's Deborah Lee, who is a, a clinical psych in in the UK, and she works a lot with compassion focused therapy in the context of of trauma. And um, uh, one of her really great sayings is, "A calm mind thinks differently." And that's the efforts that I'm trying to make there is, is if I can calm the body and calm the mind, then I can think differently about, you know, the people involved and the dinner that's not being made and all, all of the rest of it. So that's my, that's, that's one of mine. What, what is yours? Oh, What's body your all the way. Yeah. Body all the way. And then when my sons were little, I, nature, because nature calms my body. So when you have two little kids mm. inside of a house where their noise is bouncing off the walls, I'm like, okay, this is too much stimulation. So I have to reduce the outward stimulation. And somehow that became an immediate solution for me too, is to be outside where their noise was not so for me. But the body, yeah, I, you know, I spent years in therapy and nothing changed until I worked with a somatic oriented therapist for sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Although the, 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 you, you make a good point about, um, you know, sort of the importance of, of place too. And, and the, the thing that I quite like to do is even if I can't get outside into nature, I can always use imagery. I can always use the power of my mind to, to take me there. And, and so that's, 
now that you mention it, that's probably the next the next thing on that comes you know after the body is 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 the imagery. You know, can I ah oh, can I just sort of try to imagine? One of the places I like to go to is this little dog park down the road where me and when my kids were little, we used to go there and and do dog TV. I think we used to call it, and and the idea was to watch all these crazy dogs and they'd they'd go along and one one would come running over and bowl us over and we'd laugh and you know like it, it's got all of that it's it's got a bit of nature it's got a bit of that sense of affiliation and connection and and belonging and togetherness and all of that in the imagery you know because if you think about it if we think of a a threatening image like um you know sometimes when i i'm about to take a plane flight or something you know for for like Two weeks before, I'll be having images of, you know, planes kind of whatever, you know, and, and it just it, that triggers off the threat system. But if we can have images of, of safeness or calmness or connection or closeness with others, um, then that can change how we're feeling as well and how we're, we're feeling in the body. So, so, yeah, sort of bringing it back to the body and then bringing in that kind of imagery of safeness and calmness is sort of a next step. So I wanted to ask you about something that came up the last time we spoke that I thought was so clever and important, um, which is that not everybody wants to receive our compassion. Mm. That for some of us, there are real barriers to that affiliation that you're describing, like, whoa. And you, you know, certainly you see that in clinical work. We've seen that on the sidewalks too, right? Where a, a listener will approach someone and because of their own trauma, will get really activated by an approach response from another human of kindness. And love to hear more about, about some of that that I know you talk about a little bit in your book too. Mm. Yes, the, the, from a compassionate mind point of view, as I mentioned earlier, I suppose, we, we have the, the three flows of compassion, we, the compassion for others, um, com receiving compassion from others and self-compassion. And, and one of Paul Gilbert's real contributions there, I think, is just this recognition and, and sort of definition a little bit of the fears, blocks and resistances that can arise across all three of those flows. So sometimes people can have certain fears and so on about being compassionate towards others. You know, like if I'm compassionate towards others, you know, they might take advantage of me or, you know, something like that. But certainly, you know, a really important area is this idea of, of being open to receiving compassion from others. That, and, and yet there are fears, blocks and resistances that arise there. You know, like if I let someone else get close, you know, then maybe they'll actually hurt me or maybe they'll reject or abandon me. Uh, and so on. And so we, people can often, all of us actually, um, can often be quite reluctant there, have really strong reservations, certain uh, fears, blocks and resistances to, to letting anyone get close and give us care. And it's, it's tragic really, because there's a, there's a real double bind there. You know, on the one hand, especially if someone's experienced trauma or they feel certain shame or they have shame experiences that involved other people or that sort of thing. The, the, the one thing that they desperately really 
want or need is connection and closeness and care. But the one thing that they're terrified of and, and really unable to engage with is connection, closeness or care. And so there's this terrible double bind, I think, that that can sort of, you know, sort of emerge there for people when, when they've experienced, you know, trauma or shame or, you know, really difficult, especially difficult early life experiences. But all along the way, um, you know, we can have difficulties opening ourselves up to receiving compassion. I think that's so wise that there's this, it's almost compassionate to think that some people don't want to receive our compassion. Mm. Yeah. You know, like is, is ultimately what I'm hearing you say. Mm. I think the, the, the thing for me is whenever people experience, sort of express fears or, or even angry responses or, or other things, you know, it's, it's always really interesting, you know, just to contemplate what's, what's behind that? What, what's, what's actually behind that expression? And what, what is it that, that might be there in, in their, in their life, perhaps things that might've shaped them? I mean, we, we're all just kind of born, you know, um, plop. I, I think it goes that way. I'm not sure. <laughs> but um, Sort of. <laughs> sort of. We're all just born and and then a whole bunch of, you know, very innocently really, and then a whole bunch of things start to happen. And and you know, it's it's in that process that we 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 learn and we make associations and 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 sadly sometimes um that that soothing affiliative system can be compromised by those those experiences and and, and we start to to have fears of 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 compassion. Mm. But there's there's a lot of research though too. To, to suggest that that fears of receiving compassion from others is quite you know sort of correlated with for example depression or uh, other you know sort of difficult psychological outcomes like that and so um, it is it is an important one for us to to think about you know how might we approach someone who perhaps even themselves knows that they need compassion and yet are so fearful of it. Mm. Yeah. Well, and this other piece just popped into my mind while I was listening to you is there's this other piece where I don't want to, I want to be gentle when I say this, because I certainly know these parts of myself too, um, where our desire for compassion, I, this is going to come out and I might regret saying it, but um it can feel like a bottomless pit, right? Meaning that, and, and yet our compassion is a bottomless pit because we, that's what the regret part. I'm like, well, we kind of just need it all the time, but there is this yeah. maybe over indexing for compassion from others and not a lot of capacity for compassion from self. So therefore we just need so much of it from other people that other people start to steer clear. Right. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm just I'm just working this out out loud with you, Stan. Mm. I suspect your answer is well, Tracy. It's because their work is to develop self compassion. They've over indexed. So, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's good though. I think comes it, up. It, 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 it's interesting to think of you know all of these different humans involved in that little example. Uh, they all have their own tricky brains, and so there's the person who is really needing and reaching out for compassion from others 
um, perhaps fearful or, or blocked in terms of how they might offer compassion just to themselves. And then the person on the other end has certain fears arise about being compassionate back, you know, and so they have their own little sort of um, experiences there where the, the threat system gets a little bit activated. And and so it, you, it, it, is, it is interesting. We're all sort of doing the best we can in some ways, aren't we? And, and there's, we, we all have these, these good bits and not so good bits. And we're, we're trying our best. I think in the end, I'm, I think I probably am going to say what you thought I was going to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, you know, in the end, it, it, it really is about balance. And, and I, I suspect that's kind of really interesting for your members and, and listeners here to, to kind of think about. You're like, how am I going in terms of, balance across the three flows you know how am i going in terms of compassion for others how am i going at, at letting people in opening myself up to to them being compassionate towards me and what about this little self-compassion piece how am i going at treating myself with compassion and kindness and and maybe not so much of the self-criticism or the self-blame or self-shame that that can can kick in and and just doing those little checks and, and thinking okay Maybe I could work a little bit on just just gently, just slowly, a kind of a, a graduated process of of opening up to receiving compassion. Yeah, maybe that's the one that I, I could really sort of work on. Because when we get those three in flow, those three flows in, in balance, sorry, um, then we really then it is a bottomless pit, actually. You know, compassion is a resource that we can we can just move 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 forward with it you know and it, it it's it really it's sort of like a a, a um a, a bit of a never-ending pie or whatever that is that we can we can draw on because we have the three flows in balance so you have an independently wealthy family member called compassion when the balances are in flow sorry my 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 metaphors are just really bizarre today but it's fun you must be in a playful mood and i'm picking up on you or something i don't know <laughs> No, I, I think, but I, I like think, this idea that when it's in yeah. balance, it's limitless. Yeah, and and you know, let's face it, we don't have to overly practice the anxious self. <laughs> you know, that, that that seems. My friends to, can attest that I need no practice at this one at all. <laughs> none of us need any practice of of the anxious self. Um, but if we can get the compassionate self into balance. Actually, yeah. that's pretty self-sustaining too. And then it is like a family because we can bring the compassionate self into the conversation with the anxious self and we can start to soothe mm. that anxiety and, and we, can, we can validate that feeling and we can kind of reassure, reassure the anxiety and then we can find some ways to encourage, you know, okay, let's, so what, what, what's most helpful here or what, what do I really need right now and, mm. and so on. And, and so I, I actually think, you know, up, up here we are kind of like a whole multiplicity of, of parts or selves, like a family, and, and the compassionate self can be the one that just, just helps to organise everyone <laughs> and, uh, you know, sort of work, work some of these, these little conflicts out. You're speaking my internal family systems is my theory du jour right now. So it's, yeah, it's right. what I'm steeped in. I'm all about, I'm all about the parts of self. I love that. Yeah. Yes. One more question before we close, which is, okay. you know, just cause I have to nerd out just on, on a clinical thing with you. What's different about compassion focused therapy versus like other forms of, well, 
I'll just say more cognitively driven or behavior driven therapies. What would you say mm. is a hallmark of, of why we need compassion focused therapies mm. as an additive to the field? Yeah. Well, I th Paul talks about the early days where he really was a cognitive therapist. And, um, you know, he would sometimes notice that people would do really good challenging of their thoughts, for example, but not necessarily feel much better. So, you know, their, their, their cognitive challenges would be something like, you know, oh, don't be so ridiculous. Of course, people like you, you know, or something like that. Um, and of course, you know, they didn't feel much better from, from that. But I, I think where compassion focused therapy comes in is it, it just warms thing up, things up a little bit. It, it mm -hmm. just brings in the warmth, the kindness, the care, as well as the wisdom and the courage and the strength. Mm -hmm. And it just brings all of that to other things that we might we might actually do. It, it, mm. It's called compassion-focused therapy because you can bring a compassion focus to CBT or to ACT or to other approaches that we might have. And it just it just means that we now have a, a kind of a, a compassionate part of ourselves that that's alongside as we're doing mm -hmm. whatever it might be that we're sort of we're working on. Um, oh, I love that. Although it's interesting because more recently CFT really has been found also to to work well as as a sort of a standalone approach too. That that if 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 we um, are able to develop that kind of compassionate self, you know, there, there's a whole bunch of kind of you know useful and helpful um, things that can kind of arise out of all of that. One of Paul's geniuses, really. He, he is a genius and um, he, he's managed to integrate a whole range of psychological theories, attachment theory, neuroscience of it all, the evolutionary science of it all, spiritual traditions. And he's really brought all of that stuff together into CFT. And it, it, it makes for a, a, a very comprehensive and, and powerful approach, with, with, mm -hmm. as I said before, with, with lots of ways in. You know, there's a lot of ways in for people depending on their proclivities and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that because he's really thinking about all the the different forms of how we're shaped and how we're wounded and how we heal. Yes, you know? exactly. Yeah, I love that. Well, we come, we've come to the end of our time. We have a bit of a ritual here, which is that I, I get, hand over the mic and I let you speak directly to the people who listen on the sidewalk around the world. And I get out of the way and you can offer, we, we had someone recently sing a song, which was very cute. I wasn't expecting that. Um, so, but you can really take it anywhere. You don't have to, mm, 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 no pressure. <laughs> he was an opera singer, so he went for it. Um, oh, wow. Uh, but um, from your own heart to the listeners that sit on sidewalks, either a wish to them or, or words of wisdom, what would you want to offer them as our ritual close? Yes, well, well, thank you for that that opportunity. I, I think that for me, one of the things to consider is is this notion of of flow, and the work that you're doing is is really you know that that it's it it really is compassionate action, and 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 it's also in a particular direction. It, it's flowing compassion towards others, and and that's powerful, impactful, 
um, helpful. It, 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 it really is important stuff. And it's just this other piece of watching the flow inwards as well, just creating that awareness around, um, you know, how, how might compassion be flowing in for me while I do this important work? Because that's what can really keep it sustainable. And, and one of the little things that I do, and this is my therapy room that I'm in at the moment and sitting in my chair just over there, is, is really try to sort of have compassion flow on the breath, you know, that I might, as I'm breathing out, I might just be quietly in my own mind, just sending a, a sending compassion to that other person, the person that I'm listening to. And, and you know, may you, may you be happy, may you be peaceful, may you be at ease, may you be free from suffering. And then as I breathe in, it's kind of like breathing in compassion for me. May I be happy may i be peaceful may i be at ease and free from suffering and so it's just sort of getting into a little habit of of one for you one for me sometimes you might think to yourself okay two for you one for me and then sometimes you might think one for you two for me you know depending on how things are flowing but really just using the breath i think to to have that sense of of compassion flowing out and flowing in that that would be something to 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 just just let that percolate and see what you think about that idea hmm. stan thanks for so much for coming and talking with me again and i'm grateful to get to be in flow with you today i feel really in my heart right now and for those listening we'll put lots of information and, and have done about how to find stan's book and mm -hmm. find out more about you and i will for sure be coming to your house dragging you out to a restaurant when the world when my world opens back up to go have some morton bay bugs um oh, yes. you're part of the world because that's one of my what favorite a, things to eat <laughs> idea. I, I, it's a date so to speak yes good <laughs> all right be well good. be well thank you thanks everyone for tuning in bye Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of connection.